Thanks for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app. Today we are continuing on our series, Living by Faith. This series is all about prayer, and our prayer life can't grow until we understand our authority in Christ Jesus. To understand that authority, we must understand first the sovereignty of God. So let's join Pastor as he explains. We're, we're talking about prayer, and I'd like to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, where Samuel says, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So, so Samuel says not praying is a sin. Now, unfortunately today, we have a lot of prayerless Christians. Now, I believe that the reason for prayerlessness literally is bad theology. We don't pray because we don't think it makes any difference. But I just want to say right now, it makes a huge difference. So what I'd like to do for the next maybe 20, 25 minutes is I want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. Because a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God, I believe, personally, is the number one reason that we see so much prayerlessness in the church is we do not understand the sovereignty of God. So let me tell you a little story here to start out. This is a true, true story. I want to talk to you about Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs was brought up in the Lutheran church, turned his back on the church and God at the age of 13. Now, the reason that he did it, uh, what, what brought it, I should say, what, what, what brought it to a, a point where this happened was the cover of Life magazine. In uh, July the 12th, 1968, the picture of starving children in, Bifar War, in the Bifar War, which was a, a part of, of Nigeria that was breaking away, and it, it set off a civil war. A million people died either of starvation or in, in the actual conflict itself, and there was just massive starvation. So he saw the, the cover of the magazine, The Two Children in That War-Torn Region, uh, at the age of 13, Steve found it impossible to reconcile the picture with the lessons he'd been taught in the local Lutheran church. Whereas the average 13-year-old would have shrugged it off and gone on his with his 13-year-old life, Steve wanted answers. His biographer, Walter Isaacson, describes what happened as follows. Steve took the magazine, you just saw the cover, to Sunday school and confronted the church pastor. He says, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise before I do it? And the pastor said, yes, God knows everything. Then Steve pulled out the cover of the magazine and asked, well, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those children? The answer that he received was less than acceptable. According to his biographer, after that conversation, Steve never went back to church, but it wasn't the picture on the cover that undermined Steve's faith. It was the interpretation of that picture that drove him away. The conclusion that he drew, made, was that the Sunday school God that he was hearing about and hungry children was irreconcilable. Steve is not the only person who's turned away from God. 
because they thought God did something. There's a lot of people who are mad at God because they believe that God has done certain things, right? And if you have the interpretation of sovereignty where God chooses and makes everybody do certain things, I totally understand why you get mad at God and why people would turn their back on God. I was brought up in a, how can I say this, in a denomination where we taught extreme poverty. Poverty. Well, we taught that too, but extreme sovereignty. Um, literally, like if I were to walk over here and fall down those stairs, when I would get up, I'd go, praise God, that's done. Because God had planned for me to fall down the stairs before the foundation of the world. And everything that I was going to do, everything that was going to happen to me, everything that I ever did, God had planned and God was making it happen. Right? Now, I'm just going to tell you that is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible, but that is what many, many people have been taught. So let's take a look at some Bible. Romans 8, verse 21. The creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glorious, of the glory of the children of God. Even, even creation was, has been subject to corruption has been put under the authority of the corrupter. Um, a lot of people have this idea that God's up in heaven and God's mad. God is up there with a fly swatter or with a sledgehammer waiting for you to make a misstep. And as soon as you do, he's going to squash you. But the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. For God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message we've been given to tell others. But that is not the message that you often hear. What you often hear is God's mad and you're going to hell. And man, God's glad you're going. All right? And half of the pastors, you'd think that if you, you went, they got extra points. In fact, it seems to me, you know, the gospel literally means good news. How many of you know you ought to preach good news glad? I, it's amazing to me how some people can preach good news and be mad. Uh, years ago, a, a, a grandma in church came up to me after service. I was talking about gospel being good news. And, and she said, uh, my grandson was uh, bouncing on the bed watching the Christian television and and uh, I said to him, well, what, are you gonna, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be a mad pastor. <laughs> well, you know what? There shouldn't be any mad pastors. There ought to be a lot of glad pastors. Because what we have is good news. And the good news is that God is not mad. That God has restored us to fellowship with himself through Jesus. Amen. Um, sovereignty really means supreme reign. If you look up a definition, you go to your dictionary, it's going to say a king, a queen, or other noble person who serves as a chief of state, a ruler, or a monarch, having supreme rank or power. Now, when, when there is a king, or a, let's just say a president, how many of you know that that president or that king 
does not necessarily agree with everything that everybody does in his kingdom. That there's going to be people that do things in the kingdom that are contrary to the will of the king, but yet they are the supreme ruler. They're supreme in rank, supreme in power. And really, that's a good picture of what God has done. In Genesis chapter 1, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. So God immediately gave Adam and Eve dominion. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to tend, to guard, and to keep it. He was to guard it. He was to keep it. Who was he guarding it from? Who was he keeping it from? The devil. In Psalms 8, it says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over all the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. How many things were under Adam and Eve's feet? All. They had dominion. They had authority. But yet we look in the New Testament, Satan comes and tempts Jesus, and the devil said to him, all this authority, the authority of all the kingdoms of the earth, I will give to you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, if the devil's lying, there's no temptation, but this is a temptation. And the devil said that all of the glory and all the authority of the earth had been given to him. Well, God gave it to Adam. So where did the devil get it from? He got it from Adam. When Adam sinned and bowed his knee to Satan, Satan came into this world. Before the devil was here, We've got a beautiful, beautiful world. God and man are in fellowship. There's no death. There's no sin. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no dying. And once the devil's gone, Revelation 20, verse 10, afterwards, there's a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more dying. It's only while the devil's here. Romans 5, 12. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. Death came into the world through one man, Adam. He allowed Satan into this world. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch as the children, that's you and I, have partaken of flesh and blood, you live in a flesh and blood body. He himself, Jesus, Likewise, shared in the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Who had the power of death? Nobody wants to say it, but I'll say it for you. The Bible says the devil had the power of death. Who has the power of death? The devil. The devil. Here's what I've heard people say. Oh, God just took him home because he needed another flower in his garden. Now listen. Every one of us, our body's going to wear out and we're going to die. But the Bible says you can die before your time. Right? You can die before your time. And the devil, he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And you open a door for him, 
And he will gladly come in. He will gladly come in. So we have tried to blame everything that happens on God. But the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now listen, the devil cannot fight God. He cannot hurt God. So what he does is he goes after the next best thing. Because God made man in his image, in his likeness. Remember what got the devil in trouble? He said, I will be like the Most High. But God created you in his likeness and in his image. God created you to have fellowship with him. So you're, you have two things the devil wants. He wants to be like the Most High, and you are. And he wants to, he, he, he wants that, that he wanted that relationship. He wanted the worship. And, and you and I have the very things that he wants. And so he can't hurt God. So what he does is he comes after you and me because we have what he wishes that he could have. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has cast out some spirits and the, the, the Pharisees they say, well, Jesus is only casting out demons by the ruler of demons. And Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself and his kingdom cannot stand. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, truly the kingdom of God has come upon you. And no one can enter a strong man's house unless he first plunder his, to, to plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man. Then he will plunder his house. See, Jesus talking to you and to me. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Sickness, disease, war, famine, racism, pestilence, hate, greed, lust, Every one of those things, and, and, and the list goes on and on, they all came into the world as a result of Adam bowing his knee to Satan and letting Satan into this world. E.W. Trozer, the great theologian, said this. He said, here is my view. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. A man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choices between right and and wrong or good and evil. When he chooses evil, he does not thereby contravail the sovereignty of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice the man would make, but that he should be free to make it. So God's sovereignty doesn't determine what choice you make. It simply says you have the ability to make the choice. In Psalms 24, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and they who dwell therein. This earth belongs to God. He created this earth and it, is, it belongs to him. But he gave dominion and authority in this earth. He gave it to Adam and Eve and to their children. They in turn lost it to the devil. I, I love what Job said. He says, he has taken the crown from my head. He has taken the crown from my head. But here's how, if you will think of it this way, this will help you tremendously. 
God is the owner, but he gave dominion to Adam and Eve. So think of it this way. It's like God rented the earth. Now, if I own a house and I rent it to someone and we sign a contract, who owns the house? Who has authority in the house? The renter. In fact, I own the house, but if I want to go in, I got to go knock on the door and get permission to come in. And really, that is the position that God found himself in after Adam and Eve sinned. God was on the outside looking in. John Wesley said this. He said, it seems that God can do nothing unless a man asks him. So what God did is he looked for a way in and he found the way in. He found that way through a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, how many of you, have, if you've read your Bible, you've noticed that God talks a lot about the Jews? Nothing in there about the Japanese, Chinese, Germans, Dutch. Nothing in there about the Mexicans or the Guatemalans or, or, or the Africans. There's nothing in there about them. Well, there's, actually, there's more about the Africans than there are about the Europeans, actually. But, okay. So the reason is that God made a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Right? That's the reason. So God's looking on the outside and he needs a way in. And he finds a man named Abraham and God makes a covenant with Abraham. You can find this in Genesis 15. We've talked about it before, but he tells Abraham, make some altars, divide the animals, put them on the altars. Now Abraham's going to make a covenant with God. Now this is the equivalent of you're going to receive a check. Somebody's going to come by and drop off a check at your house for $100 billion. How many of you think you'd be excited? $100 billion is going to show up. Well, the Bible says that Abraham falls asleep. It says that a deep sleep falls on Abraham. And when he does... The Bible says, Genesis 15, that a smoking furnace and a burning torch pass through the pieces. So there's a furnace and a torch, and they're walking through these pieces. And again, the ground's covered with blood. Their feet are covered with blood. And as they're walking through these pieces, they're making promises to each other. Right? This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. And then the Bible, Genesis ends, and it says, in the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, we get into the New Testament to find everything out, book of Galatians. It says, now to Abraham, just chapter 3, and his seed, singular. The Bible says not plural, but singular. Were the promises made to Abraham's seed, one, not many were the promises made. And to his seed, who is Christ? So we find out who walked through in the New Testament. Jesus is walking through these pieces with God the Father. And God the Father and God the Son are talking with each other, and they're making promises, right? But Jesus is Abraham's representative. Now, that's why we find God 
getting away into the earth because now he's in covenant relationship with Abraham and his seed. Galatians 3, 29. If you be Christ, how many of you are? Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that was made when they walked through these pieces. So it's really important that we know what was said. What was said? What, are we, what, what, what have we inherited as Abraham's seed? And by the way, a little bit of that we're going to talk about tonight in, in the healing service. So we have a covenant with God. We have a relationship with God. We're in on what Abraham was in on. So God is no longer on the outside looking in, but God is right in the middle. Now, it's a very convenient theology to just say everything that God wants to happen is going to happen. That way we never miss it and we have no responsibility at all. Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's coming down. His disciples are down on the bottom. A man comes whose son has, has uh, seizures. And uh, the disciples minister to the boy, but he doesn't get any help. So when Jesus comes down, the man runs over to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, he says, have mercy on us. Because my son, he often falls in the fire. He falls in the water. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't help him. But if you could do anything. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't put that off on me. Jesus said, if you can believe. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. See, what we often do is we just want to say, oh God, whatever you want. Loke sera, sera. Whatever you want to happen, that's going to happen. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus said this in Mark 11, verse 23. He said, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, I've had people say, well, you know, God just sent this mountain into my life. Well, look, if God wanted you to have the mountain, Jesus would have never told you how to move it. And according to Jesus, it's not up to God whether the mountain leaves or not. According to Jesus, it's up to you and it's up to me. Because Jesus said, that mountain will move if you'll believe in your heart and you will not doubt. He said, you speak to that mountain, that mountain will obey you. Now, in, uh, what, what really kind of pushed this over the edge in uh, more recent decades was the uh, nearly inspired version of the Bible, uh, sometimes referred to as the NIV, nearly inspired version. 288 times where other translations say Lord God Almighty or Lord Almighty, it translates it Sovereign Lord. And in so doing, what people understand is they understand that it means that whatever God wants to have happen is what's going to happen. But that is not, again, what the Bible teaches. In Hosea chapter 8 and verse 4, they set up kings 
but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. Now, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, whoever is in authority in the government, that's who God wants to be there. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible just said. Exactly the opposite. And, and, and I want to say something here. Uh, the Antichrist spirit, the Bible says it's already in the world. The number one manifestation of the Antichrist spirit is in politics. It's in politics. And we have in our nation, I'm not naming names, but we have in our nation, we have politicians that are driven by the Antichrist spirit. Just because somebody's in a position of authority, God said they set up kings, but not by me and made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. Just because somebody's in a position of authority, we recognize that position, we pray for them, but that does not mean that what they're doing is the will of God. Does not mean that. We need, to, we, we need to grab hold of that. Psalm 78, 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. What did they do? They limited God. God wanted to do more for them than he was able to do because of their doubt, their unbelief. They limited God. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. In the, in the book of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, it says, I have come to do thy will, O God. What did he do? He brought healing. He brought healing. And who was, somebody said, well, God made him sick and Jesus healed him. No, the Bible says they were oppressed of the devil. In Mark chapter six, it says, Jesus is, is speaking. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Then it says, now, he could do no mighty work there. This is Jesus. Remember, he's anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, but he could do no mighty work. It didn't say he wouldn't. It said he could not. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. It says he laid his hands on a few sick folks, a few sick people, and healed them. E.W. Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament Word says those were people with minor ailments. Elements, two warts and a hangnail. Jesus could not, although he's anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. See, if, if everything God wanted to happen was going to happen, there would have been a lot more happening, but he could not. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants every person to be saved, but we know that people step into eternity every day without God. That's not God's will. Ephesians 3 in verse 20. Let me close with this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I don't know of any verse that, his, that where, where people quote part of it and leave off the rest of it more than this verse right here. Now, unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And most of us don't even know the rest of the verse according to the power that works in us. According to what? The power that works in, in us. We're, we're thinking, well, God's going to do something. And he's saying, look, I've given you authority in this earth. 
He said, you bind it on earth, it will be bound in heaven. You loose it on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Ephesians 3.10, now to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Who's the church? You're the church. Might be made known by the church to principalities and powers. That's Satan and demons in heavenly places. See, God wants the church to demonstrate Satan's defeat. And it's according to the power that works in, in us. See, but the truth is that faith is largely dependent on knowledge. And faith is currency. It's currency in the spiritual realm. But without our knowing what belongs to us and the authority that we have in Christ and the, the covenant relationship that we have with God, we'll just continue to be prayerlessness. We'll continue to just kind of wander through life with lo que sera, sera, whatever happens, happens. But that is not the will of God. God's will is for the church to rise up and walk in the victory that Jesus purchased for us. I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to ask you a question. I want to know about your relationship with God. Where do you stand? You know, culture tells us good people go to heaven. The Bible tells us something different, that none of us are good enough. The Bible tells us forgiven people go to heaven. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means all of my efforts to be right with God could never save me, and all of your efforts could never save you. Jesus said he is the only way. He died on the cross. He shed his blood and paid for your sin. And every one of us need to receive him. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. How do you receive him? You receive him as your Lord, your King, and you lay your life down before him. So uh, if you're not right with God today, you say, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven. Then I'm going to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me from your heart. I want you to, to, to literally speak these words out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He is my Lord and I will live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. My past is gone and I'm right with God on my way to heaven in Jesus name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that from your heart, you are right with God. You are forgiven. Uh, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually and I want to send it to you free of charge. Now, there's information on your screen and you can download that book. Or if you need a hard copy, if you'll contact us, we will send you that hard copy free of charge. I want to thank you for being with us. God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you're making one of the best decisions of your life. And we're so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you. Download it right there instantly, or you can find it on our app. It is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is used on and off the air to change lives all around the world. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a partner with us. You can now text WBF Give to 
364-GIVE. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv slash give or click on the giving icon in our app. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and on your favorite social media platform by searching WBF TV. Also, check out our app in your favorite app store. You can download past sermons, follow along with notes, speak confessions over your life, and so much more. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Go and be blessed.